So picture this, you're on your way home from work and you realise you forgot to do some of your dishes from the night before. You come home to one of two situations. Option A, you get into an argument with whoever you live with over why you haven't done your dishes and they've cre created an environment for potentially harmful bacteria. Or option B, you come home to a clean kitchen because this person that you live with had some spare time and they did your dishes for you. They know that you've had a busy week and that you're usually pretty good at doing them. So of those two options, which would you prefer? Or how about this? You're pulled over on the side of the road with a flat tire and clearly have no idea what you're doing. Someone passes by on their way to work and they do one of two things. A, they see that you're struggling, so they stop to give you a hand, knowing that they will miss their express train to work, which means they miss their morning orange mocha frappuccino. Or B, they see you're struggling to change your tyre, but then realise their express train is in only a couple of minutes, and they simply just don't have the time to take out of their day to help. But someone else surely will, so they continue on. Again, of these two possibilities, which would you prefer? Now, think again of those two examples, but this time reverse the roles. Say you are the one at home, or you are the person walking by, what would you be most likely to do? Which decision would you be more inclined to make? Well, for those of you who are new or visiting with us, we've been working our way through the letter of James, and we have reached the third chapter. Uh, last week we saw James directing his attention to our speech and to our tongue, and this week we see James opening with a question, who is wise and understanding among you? Now this is a question we would all like to put our hands up to, I'm sure. But in order to answer this question, we first have to answer another. What does it look like to be wise and understanding? In the examples I gave, can one of the responses be considered wise? If we make claims to be wise and understanding, then we claim to know what wisdom really is. So, what does real wisdom look like? And therefore, who is wise and understanding? Well, keep your Bibles open to James 3 as we work through this passage together, but first let us pray and ask God for his help as we engage with his word. Our Heavenly Father, we have come to the end of another weekend and we are preparing for another week. Some of us are unprepared, some of us are tired, and some of us are distracted. Father, we pray that you would give us strength, give us ears to hear what you would have to say to us tonight, eyes to see where we need to change, and to see how great your love is for us, and hearts that are motivated to grow and mature in our love for you. Father, I am a weak servant of yours. I pray that you would give me strength. I pray that the words that would come out of my mouth would not be my own, but would be yours. That what I say would be faithful to what you have spoken through James, not adding or subtracting what is or is not there. Use me in my weakness for your honour and for your glory. In the name of Jesus, Amen. So verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works and the meekness of wisdom. Having moved on from talking about speech, James singles out those in his audience with claims of wisdom. From this verse, two things can be seen regarding the nature of wisdom that James has in mind. Firstly, their wisdom should be seen in their actions and their conduct. And secondly, this wisdom should be characterised by meekness. 
So firstly, their good conduct and works. Is their wisdom reflected in their behaviour? As we saw in the second chapter of this letter, faith without works is dead. Likewise, James wants the reader to know that wisdom without good manner and actions is no wisdom at all. If someone really is wise and understanding as they claim to be, it should be visible. Here we see that wisdom is more than just knowledge and understanding. One cannot have only knowledge and yet be wise. Real wisdom is not just theoretical or intellectual or driven by someone's capacity to learn. Wisdom here is not measured by the highest academic qualifications someone has obtained, nor is it measured by how well you can defend yourself on any given theological issue or articulate why your church has got it right but someone else or another church has not. Here we see that wisdom is not something that we store but something that we show. And yet though we can have knowledge without wisdom, we cannot have wisdom without knowledge. It does not work when you swap them around. If you look again at verse 13, you will see that James has identified the wise person as also understanding. For to be wise, we have to understand what it takes to be wise. We have to know the good conduct that we are called to. Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, a text that he draws heavily upon, says, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does, does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. We need to hear the words of Jesus, and we need to put his words into practice. So when the rains come and the streams rise, and the winds beat against us, we will not fall. Not like the foolish man who heard the words of Jesus and did not put them into practice. Um, the, prince of, the prince of preachers, as he's known, Charles Spurgeon once said, Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal, and all are greater fools for it. There is no fool so great as a knowing fool, but to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. So if knowledge and understanding is knowing what a stop sign means, then wisdom is to apply the brakes. If knowledge and understanding is knowing that the sun can harm you, then wisdom is making sure that you slip into some protective clothing slop on some SPF 30 sunscreen, slap on a broad-brimmed hat, seek some shade, and slide on some sunglasses. But if knowledge and understanding is knowing God has spoken and given us instruction in his word, then wisdom is to heed his words and to put them into practice. Now secondly, James says in verse 13 that this good conduct should be characterized by meekness. Now what is meekness? Meekness is not spoken of much in today's age. I don't hear of many people putting down meekness as one of their top qualities on their resume. If you're watching the footy here in Australia, you'll hear a lot about courage and bravery. But when was the last time you heard meekness as something to be admired? And yet again in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus also said, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So what is meekness and how does it relate to wisdom? Well, meekness comes from understanding who we are. 
We are not perfect. We are sinful creatures, poor in spirit who need saving. Other translations of this passage use the word humility or gentleness in the place of meekness. In meekness, we humble ourselves before Jesus and are submissive to his righteous rule. We are gentle. Um, you might have heard the phrase before, meekness is not weakness, but power under control. If you glance at the earlier verses in this chapter and look at the illustrations that James has used regarding our speech and how we're to control our tongue, you'll see that he talks about a powerful horse controlled by a bit in its mouth or a large ship controlled by a small rudder. Likewise, in wisdom, we should be meek, exercising self-control and restraint. Uh, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, or in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the by taking the very nature or the form of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Or Peter, talking about Jesus in his letter to the church, says, When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats, and said he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So if we want to see meekness, we need only look to Christ. Meekness is Jesus, who in very nature God was insulted and yet did not retaliate. Meekness is Jesus, who in very nature God suffered at the hands of others, yet made no threats of his own. And meekness is Jesus, who humbled himself and said to God the Father, Not my will, but yours be done. Having turned his attention to the wise, in verses 14 to 16, James now focuses in on those who are deceived, those who, when examining themselves, discover another kind of wisdom, which is really no wisdom at all, a false wisdom that does not come down from above, but rises up from below. And we see that it is shaped by two things, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, qualities that stand in stark contrast to the meekness that James has described. And yet it is, it is in this false wisdom that some are boasting, deceived in thinking that they are wise. So firstly, bitter jealousy. What does a heart of bitter jealousy look like? Well, it is a heart that says, I want what they have, and I don't like that they have it. A heart that has feelings of discontent aroused by what it sees in the lives of others. A heart that we see in the tall poppy syndrome that we have here in Australia. It reveals itself when we decide that we should be God, deciding for ourselves what we think that others deserve. And we see that bitter envy finds itself in the company of selfish ambition. So selfish ambition, a heart that is all about me, motivated by what I can do for myself with no room or thought for anyone else. A heart that is always wanting more and is never satisfied or content a heart that is oblivious to the needs of others, concerned, concerned only with what it wants, self-absorbed, self-seeking, self-obsessed, and self-serving. This is the heart of selfish ambition. So where do we see bitter, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition? Well, is it, is it not seen in one of our biggest idols in our culture today, the idolization and the worship of self? 
And if this heart wasn't clear already, in verse 15, James makes sure that it is. This heart is not from heaven, but it is instead earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. The words James uses here to describe this false wisdom are not trivial words, and they are in no random order. Anything earthly is not from heaven and is not from God. There is no fear of the Lord in a wisdom that is earthly. But James intensifies this false wisdom. Not only is it earthly, but it is unspiritual. Anything unspiritual has no consideration or no thought for the soul. Unspiritual wisdom is a wisdom seeking to find wisdom where it cannot be found. And finally, James intensifies this wisdom from below some more. Not only is it unspiritual, but it is demonic. The only place where we find this word translated demonic in our Bibles. And there is only one place that anything demonic can arise from, and that is from the devil himself. An accuser, a tempter, and a deceiver, who has authored a wisdom where there is no truth to be found, but only lies and deceit. It is a wisdom that we see on display in our forefather Adam, who took of that tree and ate, deceived by the devil who told him, you will be like God. It is earthly in nature, and spiritual in essence, and demonic in origin. And that is the false wisdom of this world, and that is the false wisdom that some are claiming to have. Now, not long ago, I was driving home from work, and one of the things I love to do in the car is listen to music. Now, usually I would listen to music off my phone, but just as I turn on my car, um, a song came on the radio. Praise the Lord, it was called. So I thought to myself, and this wasn't on Light FM, by the way, thought to myself, now here's a song that I can get around. It had an extremely catchy beat, a promising title, and so I continued to listen. Well, much to my disappointment, here are the lyrics to a song, uh, lyrics to the chorus of the song, a song that spent over 20 weeks in the top 50 charts here in Australia, and it featured on Triple J's Like A Version segment in September. I came, I saw, I came, I saw. I praise the Lord, then break the law. I take what's mine, then take some more. It rains, it pours, it rains, it pours. And so the song repeats. Now as I listened to the song and thought more about its content, and as I reflected on these words, the more I could see our world, and the more I could see myself. Praising the Lord at one moment, and then breaking his law and his commands the next. Feeling entitled to take what I think is mine, and to be greedy and to want more of it. I deserve to have that enjoyable, high-paying job. To live in that nice house. To have that perfect family. Why shouldn't I have what they have? They don't deserve it. They haven't earned it. Now this is not the heart of the wise, but the heart of the world. A selfish and envious heart that needs to be confessed before God and repented of. And so, continuing on in our passage, what is the result of such a heart? What is the outcome of the selfish and envious person? If selfish ambition and bitter envy are the cause, what then is the effect? Well, having examined the root of this tree, now let us look at the fruit that it bears. In verse 16, we see disorder and every vile practice. Now, disorder will be seen in our relationships with each other. There will be chaos in our community. There will be division. There will be unrest and broken relationships. There will be conflict and people will be hurt. 
It will be like we're all walking through the Melbourne CBD, with no one willing to move out of their way for anyone else. Each person committed to their path, expecting others to move. Now, not only will there be disorder, but there will be every vile practice. And again, James does not mince his words. There is no limit to the evil that can be achieved by the selfish and jealous heart. And so James is warning us, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived in thinking that the selfish person is wise, or that the person who is envious about what others have is wise. Do not be deceived in thinking that there is wisdom in the way that our world lives or what the world teaches us we should pursue or desire. Where no fear of God exists, but only love of self. For such wisdom does not come from God, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So here is a good time to pause for reflection. How are we going? You might occasionally check your pulse, but when was the last time you reflected on the state of your heart? Are we desiring and praying for the good of others, or only, or only for ourselves? Are we acting for the good of others or motivated purely by self? And what, heart, what fruits are our hearts producing? In a country that has had five prime ministers in as many years, how do you think we're going as a nation? What about at work? Is there disorder in your workplace or among your friends? Maybe closer to home, is there conflict within your family? Have you put much thought into how we're going as a church or as God's family? Heed the warning, do not be deceived, do not boast and be false to the truth. <clears throat> Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Having examined the wisdom from below in verse 17, James then goes on to examine this wisdom that is from above. As he has told us, we shouldn't just claim to be wise, but be seen to be wise and to be meek. And so reading through the list, what a beautiful picture of good conduct and meekness we see painted, centered not on a love for self, but on a love for each other. Drawing comparisons to the fruit of the spirit we see in Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. So, what does true wisdom look like? <clears throat> well, first, it is pure. It is not tainted by bitter jealousy, nor is it stained by the sin of selfish ambition. Its intent and desire are innocent, harmless, and morally blameless. If we want to be wise, we need to have a pure heart, a heart that is clean, wholesome, and spotless. And for that, we need to have sound biblical convictions to know what pleases God, and to know what brings him joy and honour, but also to know what angers him. We should be angered by the sin we see in the world around us, by creation rebelling against its creator. But our convictions should be just as strong about the sin we see in our own lives. We can often be quick to condemn the sin of others, but slow to conquer our own. So, are we pure in our conduct? And in a digital age with the likes of Spotify and Netflix, are we feeding ourselves with what is pure? What do we find ourselves listening to? And what do we fix our eyes on? And importantly, what do we do when we fail and fall into sin as we so often do? Are we sorry for the wrongdoings we commit before our holy God? Have we confessed our sin and are we repentant? If we desire to be wise, we must pursue purity 
for true wisdom is first pure. Secondly, we see that the wise are peaceable. They love peace and they desire it throughout. Not just personally, but interpersonally. Not just in your relationships with others, but in others' relationships with one another. The peaceable promote and preserve unity and harmony where they go. They do not fight, whether that be physical or verbal. And they seek to resolve disagreements and differences, not create them. They do not gossip or slander or create controversy, things that will only divide, but instead they foster harmony and agreement where they go. <clears throat> um, but peace in the Bible is more than just the absence of conflict. In peace we have completeness and wholeness and the restoration of what has been broken. And this is ultimately found in Jesus who loved us and our brokenness by dying for us on the cross. Is this the peace that you know and something that you cherish? A peace that seeks to mend and restore the world that we live in through the love of Jesus. Is this the peace that you display? And are you at peace? Are you at peace with God? Have you accepted the gift of salvation that he offers? And are you at peace with others? in your relationship with your husband or your wife? Are you at peace with your co-workers and with your neighbours or those that you live with? Do you have or do you see a need for reconciliation? And are you quick to seek it? And are you known as someone who is peaceable and therefore are you wise? For the wise are peaceable. Continuing on, we see that heavenly wisdom is also gentle. Or if you're reading along in the NIV, you'll see the word considerate. The word translated here also carries the sense of forgiveness or leniency. We should be considerate of others and willing to forgive. We should be gentle in nature and spirit, but also in our speech. As we saw last week, the tongue has much power to hurt and destroy. So we should be gentle with our words, uplifting and encouraging in our speech. And so again, we must ask ourselves, are we gentle? Are you approachable? Are you someone people are willing to come to if they need someone to talk to? As believers in Christ and those who know God's forgiveness firsthand, are you someone who is willing to forgive? We must be willing to forgive as Christ first forgave us. For if we are to be wise, we must be gentle. For the way of the wise is gentleness. Next, we see that the wise are open to reason. Now, as I was preparing for this sermon, I was speaking to a couple of my colleagues at work about this text, neither of whom are believers in Christ. And in particular, I was reading to them this list of qualities that we see in heavenly wisdom. And as I read through this list to one of them, this was a quality that stood out above the rest, that the wise are open to reason. Now, I don't think that this is a coincidence. Unfortunately, I think a lot of us, myself included, have forgotten what it means to be open to reason. We are so often stubborn in our political, personal or religious views or otherwise, even when they are untried or untested. We are often unopen to reason and refusing to reason. And often it is because we are unopen to reason that conflict emerges. For some of us, this is only made worse when we are challenged. Instead of having an open mind, we harden our resolve. We want to win that argument, and we want to be right, 
to prove the other person wrong, to have the last laugh. And yet this is not the way of the wise, but the way of the world, the way of the selfish, and we need to repent. We need to remember that we don't have all the answers, and neither are we given them all. And this is particularly important as believers. No church or denomination is perfect, including ours. We need to be truthful to ourselves and open and submissive to others where we ought, having an ear to listen and consider each other. So, as a congregation, are we teachable? And likewise, our pastors and elders, are they teachable? We are all one body with Christ as our head. And so, are we open to reason? For if we desire to be wise, we should be open to reason. Now we must also be full of mercy and good fruits, full of mercy towards our neighbour, full of mercy towards our enemies and those that we don't get along with, merciful towards the poor and the needy, towards those less fortunate than ourselves, towards those who fled countries to seek refuge here in Australia. And we shouldn't just be full of mercy, but also good fruits, fruits seen in action and displays of, good, of mercy towards others not acts of chaos or disorder that is earthly or unspiritual, but the good fruits of heaven. So again, reflect. What does it look like to be merciful in your life? In the building that you live in or on your street, in your suburb or in the city, are you the best neighbour or best enemy that someone could have? Is being merciful towards others a priority in your life? And are you someone who is known as being full of mercy and good fruits to those around you? Lastly, we see that heavenly wisdom is impartial and sincere. If we are to be truly wise, we need to be fair and genuine, someone who can be relied upon in all circumstances, someone whose conduct is transparent and whose motive is clear, someone whose actions come from a changed heart, a heart sincere and its love for others as Jesus has loved us. An impartial and sincere person is also trustworthy. Are you that person? Are you impartial in your judgments and your decisions? And is your concern for others genuine? Are you someone that can be confided in? And so James asks us, asks us again, are you wise? Verse 18 and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. As the old saying goes, you reap what you sow. And so those who sow peace by making peace reap a harvest, a heavenly harvest of righteousness as their reward. And God desires for us to be righteous. So if we make peace, we will be reaping a harvest that is pleasing to God. If we are pure, God will be pleased. If we are peaceable, gentle and open to reason, God will be pleased. If we are full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere towards each other, God will be pleased. Now we know we are not perfect, and I'm sure we all see plenty of room for improvement across this passage, but what if we don't know how to get there? What if in our current circumstances we think that this wisdom is too far out of our reach, that this harvest of righteousness is intangible to us? Well, two things. Ask God and look to Christ. In earlier weeks, as we read through and worked through James 1, we read um, in verses 5 and 6, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, 
who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. God is not only pleased when we sow peace, but he has provided the means by which it is possible. And so all we must do is ask. So, if you lack wisdom, have you asked for it? Have you sought God in prayer and ask, asking he give you wisdom and understanding? knowing that he will give, and he will give generously. If any of you ask wisdom, ask God, and secondly, look to Christ. In Colossians 2, Paul says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Maybe you have asked for wisdom. Then ask yourself, are you pursuing Christ? Are you pursuing your Saviour in who we see true wisdom, who laid down his life for us so that we might have life, who is meek, pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, and in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, if you are feeling deflated and lacking in wisdom, remember to ask God and to look to Christ. So, James has asked us, who is wise and understanding among you? Are we simply claiming to be wise or living as those who are wise? And what does our wisdom look like? Are we deceived with a false wisdom that is from below and from self, or is our wisdom from above, seen in good conduct and a life of meekness, promoting peace and yielding righteousness pleasing to God? James has asked us the question, will we be seen to answer it? Join with me as I pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we live in a world that is increasingly telling us to live for ourselves, to seek first what we want and what we think we are entitled to. We live in a world that is marred by the result of our corrupt hearts, with disorder and every vile practice known to all of us in our sin and in our relationships with others. But Father, we live in a world where you reign and where Christ has conquered sin and death. So Father, we pray that you would make each of us wise knowing that you will make us wise and will be generous in doing so. Make us a people that are resistant to the devil and the world and are instead shaped by meekness and by Christ. May we first be pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. May we live as a community that sows peace, reaping a harvest of righteousness pleasing to you. For your glory we pray. Amen.